0: Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back everyone to another Pain Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maureen Allen. Today I have a very special treat for you. We're talking all things skip, not the skipping ropes. We're talking all things skip, which stands for solutions for kids in pain. I'm so grateful to have members of the IWK skip team and Colleen Haskett, who is a parent of a child living with persistent pain. For listeners not from Nova Scotia, the IWK is our pediatric hospital that provides health care to kids and their families in the Atlantic Canada region. It's a big area. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Alan Finley, Aaron Aubrey, and Colleen Haskett. Thank you. Thank you. you. So, maybe what we'll do is uh, get you to, we'll start by getting you to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your connection to SKIP. And maybe I'll get you to start, Alan.
1: Yeah, hi. I'm an anesthesiologist at the IWK Health Center in in pediatric anesthesia, and I've been working in pain management for almost 30 years. Uh, I'm the hub lead, so called, for SKIP Solutions for Kids in Pain. Um, and that means I'm providing the scientific and medical leadership in the Maritime
0: region
2: uh,
1: centered on the uh, IWK in Halifax.
0: Erin, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So my name is Erin Aubrey, and I'm the Skip Knowledge Broker at the IWK, working with our hub lead, Dr. Alan Finley. Originally having basic science training, I was able to kind of firsthand see the importance and the kind of the need for SCIP, so the need to translate research being done to get in the hands of those who need it in um, the clinics or at the bedside. Um, and I kind of come to SKIP with a wide range of experience working in different um, health systems research roles, looking at the different ways the health system works for individuals and maybe is more challenging for other individuals living with disabilities, also working with different government departments on projects with our provincial uh, health research funding organization and. I'm fortunate enough to be now working with Skip in this role.
0: So, so interesting. Colleen, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself as well. So I I am a mom of three uh, young people. Um, Two
3: of my my children live with chronic pain. And my third guy has been uh, navigating as a sibling uh, with two siblings with chronic pain. So uh, we kind of have a unique experience that way. Um, Currently, I'm working as a a family advisor with uh, London Health Sciences Centre in the Pediatric Family Resource Department, and uh, that's been a very rewarding opportunity as uh, we start to think about some of these important issues and to help people um, in our center.
0: Such an important role calling, just having that lived experience, especially from a parent's perspective. So, such an important role that you're you're playing in this in this program. So, let's get talking about the program. So, tell us about SKIP.
1: Solutions for Kids in Pain is a program funded by the Networks of Centers of Excellence for Knowledge Mobilization, which means it's funded by grant. That doesn't allow us to do any research. Uh, Our premise is that we know enough to change the care of children and more research clearly needs to be done but right now we need to use the knowledge that we already have. So knowledge mobilization is a way of taking the scientific evidence that already exists about children's pain and how to prevent it and how to treat it and getting it out to clinicians who were working on the ground, so to speak, in hospitals and clinics and offices and making it available in a way that they can use it to improve the care and also getting it out to parents and families and patients so that they know what they should be expecting and what needs to be done to help them Prevent or treat pain. Much of the pain that children suffer in hospital is actually caused by healthcare staff doing procedures and tests, and of course, that's an extremely important area to cover. There are currently four uh, official hubs uh, one at the IWK Health Center in Halifax, one at SickKids in Toronto, one at Stollery Children's in Edmonton, and at the Children's Healthcare Canada in Ottawa, which is an organization representing 48 healthcare institutions across the country. That's all of the children's hospitals, as well as many of the other hospitals in the country where children are treated. Seventy percent of children are not don't receive their uh, care in a children's uh, hospital, they receive it in regional and, and local hospitals. So it's important to reach out across our region, uh, the Maritimes uh, uh, and uh, Newfoundland as well, we hope uh, to establish a community of practice so that people understand and use the knowledge that we already have.
0: That's really interesting, Alan, and, and one of the things that I read, and I don't know you can correct me on this, is that 33% of the adults that we see who are living with persistent pain actually develop their pain in childhood. Is that, is that correct? Would that be reasonable?
1: I think that's probably uh, reasonable. Certainly we know that one of the key factors in establishing chronic pain is a failure to treat acute pain properly. And that can start at any age. And of course, the younger you are, the more at risk you are of establishing uh, different pathways in the brain and nervous system that uh, promote pain sensitization, being increased uh, sensitivity to pain. That can start in the newborn or premature uh, period. So it's really important to address uh, pain prevention in those. Uh, groups.
0: And I guess when you're saying pain prevention, it's not just the pharmacology that we use, it's also the approach that we use. Would you, would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, um, treating and preventing pain involves using distraction, psychological methods, uh, physical uh, methods and attention, and of course, uh, medications as well. But it also involves thinking about what we're doing. Uh, Do we really need to do that blood test now? Could it wait? Could it be done in combination with something else? Can we avoid a needle poke? So all of those things come into play and involve not expense or a lot of uh, financial investment, but people having the will and thinking about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So one of the one of the things that you see in the in the adult literature is that one of the biggest predictors of uh, persistent pain is generally the experience or the meaning of that that pain experience to that individual and one of the one of the drivers is often that fear which is around uncertainty or unpredictability of what you're going to do. So is that something that you, it seems to be more preventative I guess with kids. We anticipate that this is going to be a painful procedure and you try and address some of those. Is is that reasonable to think of it that way? We don't somehow think about that in the adults, which is really unfortunate. But.
1: Yeah. Uh, we, we would not object if these principles uh, extended from children to adult care as well. That would be <laughs> a good outcome also. It
0: makes total sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Colleen, I'd be interested in, in just bringing you in. I know, Erin, you're there as well, but I'm really interested in, in Colleen's experience around what what her experience was around the clinical setting uh, when her children were coming in, you know, uh, you know, getting a pain. I'm not really sure the journey that your children had in terms of when their pain started, but uh, what was your experience in the healthcare system uh, when you brought your children forward?
3: So I, I think it's important to kind of distinguish a little bit too around what. Um, the difference between pain. So when my, my middle guy, Benjamin, uh, broke his arm. We, we knew what to do. We, you know, bundled him up. We brought him to the ER. Um, we had a certain expectation of the system uh, to x-ray, to find a cause, to treat the cause. Um, but when it comes to chronic pain, that changes the rules uh, significantly. And uh, my daughter, uh, when she was 14, uh, started experiencing pain in her hands, and we started to kind of uh, go down that road like the medical professionals. We should be able to go to our family doctor. We should be able to go to the ER. We should get some uh, answers, Um, but... Uh, we would go and have uh, an x-ray done and we would learn that there was nothing visible there um, but the pain still persisted we would try medications and the pain persisted in different ways um, so we had a lot of not great experiences uh, with the system in trying to to learn about how pain was uh, affecting her um, Sarah was first diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and uh, that uh, diagnosis kind of changed our perception of of pain management. Um, And then we were, once we had gone through a number of medical appointments, specialist appointments, um, you can appreciate for her and for us uh, coming out without a bunch of answers on how to um, help her with that pain, uh, how discouraging and unsettling that would be as a family. Um, And somewhere through all of that, someone referred us to the Pediatric Chronic Pain Team. And I know we were, my daughter, I can I can say uh, both of us were very hesitant when we got there because we had hadn't had a lot of uh, really good experience in coming away with answers. But for the first time when we went to that team meeting, um, she felt heard. Uh, It wasn't just about listening to um, lab results. It wasn't about listening to um, the here and the now. It was about really hearing her story um, and not having any judgment around that and just taking in a year in pain and how can we help. Um, So that was really key a key turning point for us because uh, she spent um, probably a half of her uh, final year in high school at home rather than at, uh, participating in, in normal, regular, everyday kids stuff. Um, and it was really at that time that we, when we were heard, that Sarah came and said, I think I'd like to... Um, go to school in Halifax, (laughs) that we went, oh, okay, Um, let's not just make an easy transition from youth to adult care uh, or, you know, uh, high school to post-secondary. Let's just throw in a whole couple of provinces away and figure that all out. (laughs) Um, And I think it would have been really easy for us to just say, no, that's, no, you can't get out of bed. And how will we do this? But instead, with that support and that knowledge behind us, that it doesn't have to hurt. Like we can work through this. that we got on that plane, and we started to explore what that might look like for her. And it's not perfect. It's we've been four years almost, uh, but she's there, and she's at school, and she's getting it done, and we're pretty proud of her.
0: So you know you bring up a couple of really important points and you know when I'm talking to I was actually involved in a conference this weekend and we were talking about how limited the pharmacology is but how powerful our ability to listen and to acknowledge um, so that and you know, it sort of comes through in your uh, in your discussion and uh, so how did you get connected to Skip how did you did, did this is something that sort of happened when you went to Halifax or did you did someone direct you in that area or
3: Well it's it's an interesting story because I, you know, we've shared our journey, um, both locally here uh, at the, there was a It Doesn't Have to Hurt conference. Um, and that's where I met uh, Dr. Chambers. Um, and we told our story. Uh, and as we have learned about services in Halifax, we've kind of followed that through on social media as well. Um, that whole initiative, and uh, when while supporting my daughter uh, in Halifax, I said, "Hey, I'm going to be and be here. I'd like to learn more." So that's amazing. Cool. Um, and made that connection uh, to the team. But really, it is it's around that social media piece and
0: me mm-hmm. really getting uh, more information around it in that way. Interesting, yeah. So, Erin, I'm just curious about uh, what these uh, knowledge mobilization tools are. So, so, Colleen kind of, I think, is talking a little bit about those, but if you could kind of expand that.
2: Yeah, so I think the way to get breaks down who we target. It's a very broad reach. So, there's knowledge producers who are researchers or their trainees, and there's knowledge users. So, those could be health professionals, healthcare administrators, policymakers, educators. And then we also um, have the caregiver, patient, and beneficiary in mind as well. Skip is a patient's included organization. So, um, we're heavily committed to ensuring that patients' voice and, and the patient experience is involved and interwoven between all of our initiatives. And projects. So I think the the way I kind of think about the tool production and promotion, which is one of our objectives of Skip, is that they can be broken down for parents. So that could be patient education summaries. We could use visual visual or digital content, so blog posts, YouTube videos, tweets or or Facebook live chats, kind of that would reach folks uh, where they're at instead of making them come to us. And then there could be different knowledge mobilization tools for healthcare professionals, so these could be point-of-care tools, so clinical checklists, clinical guidelines, um, short summaries uh, that would cite the different evidence base in those fields. They could also be original studies or um, reviews of, of original studies and also bring together healthcare professionals on social networking platforms to share and mobilize knowledge amongst themselves, so to kind of create a community of practice. And then also for administrators, um, the tools that that we've thought of are and and are working towards mobilizing are templated policies and protocols and evidence briefs for decision makers and working with with our partners, for example, the Health Standards Organization to create a new um, pediatric accreditation standard, um, which is quite exciting.
0: Yeah, that, that actually drew me in. And I know that uh, when we were talking about the kind of questions to ask that we wanted to look at that a little bit later. But I think it's a really, really, I mean, I jumped at that in, initially, because I know what it's like to work in a small community. And uh, right now, there's lots of changes in Nova Scotia for people that are not from the area, just in terms of how the health care is being delivered in our communities. But what it does, it refocuses the energy in that small community to something good. So I love the concept of child kind certification or the accreditation piece. Um, so it, it is something I think that I'd love to maybe Alan or Erin or later on in another podcast we can talk a little bit more about because I do think that that information can be very helpful for rural communities. and So in in that vein though, just how do you see this rolling out into the rural communities?
2: Yep. Although, as we are relatively new, we're kind of working things out initially, um, it is thought of being a hub and spoke model. so, as, as Alan mentioned, he's the IWK hub, so uh, him and I being located at the IWK have a maritime facing outreach, and then we have folks across the country doing that as well. So our Western hub lead um, at uh, Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton and then Toronto Sick Kids and more of our central in more of our central location and The idea is that we are located and embedded within these healthcare institutions, which is great to have these um, close connections with experts such as Dr. Finley. But we're able to reach out into the community to speak with folks in New Brunswick or in PEI who are interested in potentially working with an institution like the IWK or SickKids who has this massive resource and knowledge base there to uh, knowledge share, to so, so share clinical protocols or guidelines or have a, a knowledge sharing conference or a workshop event where our experts can meet with their experts and can discuss best practice. And so um, I don't think there's one way that it can be rolled out in the community. I think it, it is going to be different, uh, whether that's in Northern Ontario working with our um, sick kids knowledge broker there, or whether it's, heading over to PEI to connect with the folks there. I think what's really unique in um, our strength with Skip is, is we're able to kind of tailor the ask based on um, where in the community or different regions that's coming from.
1: Yeah, exactly right. The needs in different places are always different, but the important uh, thing will be to have individuals in different hospitals in each area, each community who are willing to be the local champions and uh, be the conduits as well for information that we can help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just find that the idea of, of certification and, and meeting accreditation standards really gets the institution more focused and, and really people that feel very passionate about this kind of work really get mobilized, uh, especially in these small communities. So, Colleen, I'm just wondering how would have skipped have impacted your family's experience if you had been involved prior to that journey that you went through within the system? I think I, for us, again, it's we had kind of an idea of how to manage pain for
3: for our kids. Uh, you, you know, if your kid falls, scrapes her knee, you put a Band-Aid on it. Um, so we didn't really have anything, any takeaway on how to manage long-term pain. Um and we kind of got it all, I wouldn't say all wrong, because we were doing the best that we could. But, you know, when normal thing would be if you're in pain would be to rest, uh, whatever's in pain, and it will start to get better. Um, but that did for us. That didn't work. And uh, with chronic pain, uh, the more you kind of rest it, then it kind of leads to that spiral of um, if your hand hurts, you know, maybe use it less. If you can't get to work, school's important. Get to if you can't get to school for a whole day, then get to school for part of a day. And that spiral for us was was huge. And and we needed to figure out ways to get out of that um, to be the most help. And I, I think that we would have got there a lot quicker had more people known um,
0: how to give us those tools and how to maybe use them in a more meaningful way. What's interesting, so you talk about the the rest piece. Now in the adult uh, arena, often what I find will often uh, create sort of a spiral for adults living with persistent pain is often these work hardening programs. So they're being pushed when it doesn't feel safe. When there's a lot of uncertainty so I'll find that this this push 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 can actually do almost the same thing as that too much rest so that that find that fine sort of balance between feeling safe when you move but also needing to move I think is so important right yeah um, right for sure yeah so so what, what how would you uh, what what advice would you give parents who are interested in learning more about skip and how they can get involved
3: I think I uh, really the best thing always is to ask questions um, to kind of push a little bit for a plan when you're leaving uh, your doctor's office even if it's a small plan to have another appointment if it's a small plan to um, connect in a way if it's a small plan to try something to be helpful Um, when we left a lot of healthcare situations we didn't necessarily have that plan and that really didn't help us Uh, so in terms of house it's that skip piece would be, I would say, make yourself knowledgeable. Um, follow uh, things like it doesn't have to hurt. Uh, go and see what's happening in the world of uh, solutions for kids in pain. Think about ways that your story can
0: contribute or ways that you can speak up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so go ahead, Erin. I think I heard you there.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think what Colleen says pairs really nicely with um, with skips like objectives and one of our activities is in fact to increase awareness and maintain public interest and foster a sense of urgency and also expectation from the public um, or patients or or those parents of patients for evidence-based pain management. So being able to be a presence online or have these tools and information come to you and meet you where you're at, to know, as Colleen's saying, to ask for a plan as you're leaving or to say, hey, maybe this isn't the way things should be going. Um, Or as Alan said, is this needle poke absolutely necessary? Is there something more we can do to make my child more comfortable? Um, Just having parents more empowered and having the public more empowered to know that... um, Healthcare doesn't necessarily need to be um, always associated with pain. There are other ways that we can kind of work together to solve that.
0: Absolutely. I think it's just so important that we have these kinds of conversations and uh, I mean my training and I'm sure yours Alan we didn't get much on pain at all regardless and I mean chronic pain was we didn't really even understand sort of the mechanism uh, but was driving chronic pain I think the literature started coming out maybe about 20 years ago but it's taken a long time to get to a point that you know it's, it's crazy when you think that we actually know what increases the risk of chronic pain what drives it and how we can help people live and manage it and it's still that that Information is just not getting out there, um, so it's it's always amazing to me. Erin, I just uh, and you may have already answered this actually, but I'm really curious about the the role of a knowledge broker. I've never heard that term before, and and so this sounds like it's actually. Uh, uh, and, and I just I should actually just take a step back. So is Skip an international program or is it just a national? No, I shouldn't say just a national program. <laughs> but so- uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh,
1: essentially a national program in that it's uh, Canadian national funding, Uh, but we have a number of international partners. Childkind is one of them, Um, but uh, many of the resources that we'll be making available um, are, are going to be available to anybody in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the resources we're going to be making available come from other places, from other countries. So uh, the focus is on uh, Canadian regions, but uh, we are really, uh, yes, an international um, initiative.
0: Yeah, interesting.
2: And we have international experts engaged and um, partners as well. And so, as Alan is correct, we do have kind of federal Canadian funding, so our definite immediate scope would be Kind of across the country, but we do hope there'll be trickle over and ripple effects internationally, and then moving forward, um, hopefully our reach will be able to broaden.
0: So, would you? and So, what I'm hearing is that the 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 SKIP program itself is really a, no, a knowledge translation mobilization kind of process. And um, would that be correct? It's it's about getting that knowledge out there and being able to translate it into the work into the the clinical space.
2: Yep. Yeah, so so our um, scientific director, Dr. Christine Chambers, always says to I me mean, that we, GIP isn't created to reinvent the wheel. So our vision is healthier Canadians through better pain management for children um, with this mis- mission to mobilize knowledge to improve um, pain management through evidence-based solutions. But the crux is it through coordination and collaboration. So we have... Um, over 100 partners with SKIP. We have our four regional hubs. We have um, just under 50 of these Children's Healthcare Canada uh, member organizations across the country. And so we are working um, with the belief that more can be accomplished through collaboration together than in silos and working separately in our respective Uh, Areas across the country.
0: Yeah, it it makes total sense. It reminds me actually of a quote that I found that I use every now and then on the podcast. Is uh, evidence is possibility. It only has power if we use it, and then I add in something. It only has power if we're ready to use it and we know how to use it. So it's uh, it it sort of uh, makes me think about that particular quote. Um. Yeah. So, what do you enjoy most about your job, Erin? I'm just curious. Uh, is it the inter- Is it the connectability, or it's the the learning? Is it? Yeah. I'm just. It just sounds like a fascinating job to me.
2: <laughs> and I, I can definitely answer. Do you want me to also kind of get into what a knowledge broker is? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So, when you saying not fully knowing what knowledge brokers are, that's not completely rare. the The term or the role a knowledge broker is relatively new, and the exact function of a knowledge broker can be conceptualized. And operationalized very differently depending on the various sectors and settings that it's kind of being rolled out in. So for us uh, within SKIP, knowledge brokers serve as change catalysts. So we're able to continually engage stakeholders and facilitate execution of um, these knowledge mobilization activities across our network. And so we're able to support these regional um, hubs and institutions, kind of. Um, spanning out from them. I I tell people when they say, what is a knowledge broker to think of us as a stakeholder liaison or project manager who kind of acts as an intermediary to develop relationships between those knowledge producers. So again, those researchers or those trainees with the knowledge users in the end beneficiaries. Uh, I think what I love the most about my job and I find very fortunate is that I get to meet, learn from, and work with such a diverse pool of amazing stakeholders and experts all across the the board because we have partners kind of in every sector um, all the way from federal government to uh, regional clinical experts and and world-leading clinical experts such as Dr. Finley but then also being able to have those interactions and ensure we incorporate such important perspectives such as Colleen um, and have those stories and perspectives guiding our important projects and conversations um, throughout all of the work we do. And so I think that's, that's my favorite, just being able to interface with with so many different people and, and every day is different. And I think having that also that end why as being to better pediatric pain management across, the country and beyond, I think is, is pretty awesome to be able to
0: say. Absolutely. And you know, I, one of the things that when I started looking and doing a little bit of research for this interview, I was amazed at the Halifax presence or the Nova Scotia presence, I guess, uh, around this program. And so, you know, it's something to be really proud of uh, what what, uh, what you guys are actually doing. So we're getting close to the end now. So I'm just going to just want to wrap up a little bit. And Alan, um, I just want to sort of pick your brain and, you know, if you if you had to give some advice, to healthcare clinicians, healthcare practitioners in the communities, what what kind of advice would you give give around pediatric pain? I know that's a big broad, but final points. <laughs>
1: uh, well, in in the next two hours, we will cover. <laughs> okay,
0: let's um, get into the neurophysiology.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. the The most important thing is to think about it. Um, assume that if A child, particularly a young child who can't communicate easily, or children with developmental or neurological disabilities who can't communicate, if something is being done to them that would hurt you, you better assume that it will hurt them as well. Think about pain as an issue, think about the procedures that we do to children as an issue. Plan ahead, use the topical anesthetics, the uh, other uh, uh, pain relieving techniques that we know about to prevent pain or to treat pain before you do a uh, procedure to a child instead of afterwards. Be aware and think about it. That's the main take home message.
0: Absolutely. And you know, we one of the things that I, just in sort of some of my reading around the adult uh, individ- the, the adult experiencing pain is I, I really took home the concept of how we can prime the nervous system so or what they were talking about was the first hit that we can actually cause this amplification to start to happen with a per- first procedure it makes me think of type 4 hypersensitivity reactions that we prime them and then they get a second exposure and that's when you start to see the amplification where it doesn't go away. It's just that impact of that first experience is it can be anything, any any interaction that we have, and so we have to be mindful of that. Erin, did you have any any final words or advice to uh, healthcare professionals out there, and or even how we would want to access some of this information?
2: So I think um, in order to like to find us, I think is is a great way. So Skip is very engaged on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and so we can be found at at Kids in Pain and um, we love hearing stories and having it's flu shot season so a lot of folks are out there getting their flu shot and then sharing their post with the hashtag it doesn't have to hurt Um, and we can also um, be in touch on our website so we have our email contact at kidsandpain.ca or um, find out more information we have a whole bunch of our resources our visual summaries on our website um, www.kidsandpain.ca and there is a a button there where you can be kept in the loop and you will receive our mail outs or our events that have happened, our upcoming events and opportunities to engage with Skip. where if we're in Ottawa or Toronto or out West. Um, and so I think that's a, a really good way to keep keep in touch. And I think what Colleen said too, just reaching out if, if we're always looking for new partners or collaborators or interested um, patients and families to engage with. And so I, I think doing exactly what Colleen did is reaching out, um, coming to an event or sending an email saying, "Hey, I want to learn more. Hey, I think I could um, bring this to the table to, to further the mission." We we're always looking for new collaborations. So,
0: yeah, great, great, uh, great advice, Colleen. I'm going to leave the last uh, word to you. And uh, what advice would you give uh, people like me working in these rural communities uh, and um, are seeing and managing uh, kids and parents who are experiencing pain? Any final words?
3: I think always i I think that we need to really uh, hear the story honestly. Mm. Um, yeah. we make assumptions sometimes, and we think that you know we can have a quick fix, and sometimes that quick fix isn't really um, readily available. Um, and it's easy to kind of dismiss it in that way uh, i liken it to right now that I, as a parent you know my kids are, are 21 uh, 20 and, and 18 and i'm really just a passenger on their train and they're still trying to navigate the system so any advice that i give to them really now becomes their journey um and to be able to empower them to ask the questions and advocate for their needs is super important uh, so they feel
0: comfortable when they get to that place where they need to seek. Yeah, so I mean that's great advice and even though they're on that journey we are a safe place to land and and for your children actually I mean Skip is a safe place to land. You know, these people that they've developed these relationships that understand what they're experiencing and validate that suffering are also safe places for them to land. Yeah, so awesome. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your morning and uh, um, hopefully what we can do is um, uh, get this information out there and share this information and just keep talking uh, about, about pain and how we can help people live with it, but also, more importantly, how we can prevent it. So that's it. We'll, we'll sign off for now. All right. Thanks
1: very much.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's
3: show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.